0: I take for my text this Lord's Day 1 John chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will He heareth us and if we know that He hears us Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. This Lord's Day we continue our series through 1 John, approaching the conclusion of this letter to these Christians in Asia Minor who are facing great Persecution and attack on behalf of the truth. And we find here one of the greatest needs that the church has if it is to persevere and to stand firm. In those days in which John addressed this letter, as well as in these days, one of the greatest needs in our church, in our families, And in the lives of our people today is a heart that considers time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ each day. Not a waste of time. Not even simply a desirable act of worship, but rather an absolute necessity. For dear ones, nations, churches, and families that have not men, women, and children mourning and grieving over sin, fleeing to Christ for mercy, hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God, pleading for reformation and gospel blessings more than they plead for their own earthly comforts and carnal enjoyments. These people may have an external religion, but if they're not pleading for the things of Christ, in daily prayer to the Lord God, they'll know nothing of the power thereof, the power of godliness in their lives. Beloved, doctrine and theology without earnest, effectual prayer is simply courting disaster in the life of a Christian. You can count for rough roads ahead if that's true of your life or mine. The Christian who loves holiness and hates all the paths of unrighteousness. The Christian who loves the truth and hates all error. The Christian who loves the Lord and loves all those who do love the Lord is one who is not a stranger to the Lord in prayer and communion on a daily, regular basis. Certainly there are many, many excuses why we propose or we have heard why Christians cannot be faithful in this most holy exercise of our professed faith and religion. Perhaps we have been guilty of the same excuses. God, have mercy upon us and teach us that these are simply excuses. Perhaps we've said that a reason that I don't daily spend time in heartfelt, fervent prayer before the living God, enjoying Him, is because I'm too busy. Our busyness. I just can't seem to squeeze that part of my religion into my everyday life. My day's just too demanding. And you don't have to work outside the home to use that excuse. It can be used by way of the mothers and the wives as well. Their life is every bit as demanding as their husbands who work outside the home. Or perhaps. The excuse of our own forgetfulness. Now, we don't accept the excuse of our children's forgetfulness too many times. After so many times of our children saying, Well, Dad, I forgot. Well, that gets a little old after a while. Pretty soon it's time to learn and not forget. And so this is a very, very weak excuse. I just can't seem to remember to include it in my schedule. Or we may offer by way of excuse our own weakness. And we might say, well, I'm getting a little closer to the, to the truth here. My own weakness. But if that can become as well simply an excuse. You see, prayer, prayerlessness must just be a weakness, someone might say. It must just be my weakness, my cross that I have to bear. And that's as far as they take it. Or someone may plead for their prayerlessness, our ignorance or his or her ignorance. I just don't know how to pray or for what to pray. And we could probably multiply the excuses. But do you really want to know why we are so spiritually incompetent in prayer? You want me to flatter you or do you want me to tell you the truth? Because I believe very strongly is because we love our work, we love our pleasures, and even our blissful ignorance more than we love the Lord our God. For Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure or mine may not be money, but rather it may be our work, or our family, or our TV, or our computer, or our house, or hobbies, or pleasures, or even our works of theology. Although there is nothing evil or wrong with any of these, and many of them are great blessings that God has given to us. Nevertheless, they may become our treasure and therefore our idols. For whatever fills and so preoccupies our time so that we have no time for daily prayer and communion with our Redeemer and Savior has become our treasure. And where our treasure is There is our heart also. There is where our true affections lie. And the sooner that we recognize that, the sooner that we see it clearly, the more quickly we can deal with the true problem and stop making all the excuses that we do. Parents, are you teaching your children how to pray? Are you teaching them the importance of secret worship by walking them through secret worship? Are you teaching them, fathers, that before your children begin their day, that they, like you, should begin the day with secret worship? Where will they learn the importance of daily prayer if you do not teach them. Beloved, because the session of this church looks upon daily prayer and and feasting upon His Word to be not simply desirable, but absolutely necessary to communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, we can certainly be united to Jesus Christ and fail in many areas. But if we are to enjoy communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be at that place of prayer and feasting upon his word on a daily, regular basis. And because that is, in our judgment as, as your elders, the case, we have included in our interview of those who desire to come to the Lord's Supper, which is simply a sign and seal of our communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, a question that asks whether one has been faithful in regular daily secret worship. For one who has not been taking communion with Christ seriously on a daily basis, in fervent prayer, is unlikely to take communion with Christ seriously Seriously, in the Lord's Supper. Where will we know that there is a seriousness about this person's communion with Christ if he is not evidencing it on a daily basis in his life? We can put on all the facades we want to, dear ones. But the rubber meets the road every single day. If the reality is absent, And that is daily communion with Christ. Why should the sign of that communion be enjoyed? By so doing, the session does in fact plead with you not to make secret worship a mere routine, a mere routine appointment that has to be kept in order to come to the Lord's Supper. But we plead with you To set aside this time with the Lord so as to delight in the Lord your God. To enjoy Him. Not simply with the attitude, well, I have to, in order to come to the Lord's table. What a terrible approach to our communion with Christ, if that be our attitude. But rather, to the contrary, it should be the highlight of our day to spend that time with the Lord. Before I press on to our text today, I would simply note, here as well is a chief cause, I believe, for the gross unfaithfulness of ministers to their calling in Christ's church and for the general coldness that pervades the sermons, the prayers, and the ministries of many. Many ministers, I believe, are more concerned with the approval of man, with keeping their churches full, with building huge cathedrals, with making people like them, with humoring people in their sermons, with making a name for themselves... More concerned about these things than they are concerned to be men who wrestle with the living God in effectual, fervent prayer every day that God would give to them the fear of the Lord. That God would give to them courage to stand for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ in very difficult times. That God would give to them His power to be manifested in their preaching, to be manifested in their families, that God would give to them a shepherd's heart in loving and being willing to lay down their lives for the flock that's been entrusted to their care. That they would pray for the Spirit's effectual work in the souls of people in drawing people not only into union with Jesus Christ but into communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. In preparation for our day prayer and fasting most of you have received the causes of the Lord's wrath against Scotland Listen to what is stated there concerning the unfaithfulness of ministers in this regard. In the Acts of the Assembly at Edinburgh, 1596, March 26, it is provided that the trial of the persons to be admitted to the ministry hereafter consists not only in their learning and ability to preach, but also in conscience and and feeling, and spiritual wisdom, and in the same act it is provided that such as shall not be found given to sanctification and prayer, that study not to be powerful and spiritual, but be cold and wanting spiritual zeal, that all such persons be censured and continuing therein be deprived, which act was revived in the General Assembly, 1638, likewise in the General Assembly, 1646. And then these brief questions. In the same document, the next page, these questions are asked. How shall he pray for others who cannot pray for himself? How shall he reveal Christ who never knew him? How shall he naturally care for souls who hath not the love of Christ dwelling in him? Good questions. If we would have reformation, beloved, we must have ministers who are not strangers in prayer, who are not afraid to persistently and confidently seek the blessings of God upon His people, just like Jacob was willing to wrestle with the angel of the Lord, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his persistence, because he would not let go until God blessed him and blessed his seed, we see the evidence of that in God's faithfulness for many generations to the seed of Jacob in preserving that seed. So we need, dear ones, ministers to wrestle with the Lord. May the Lord shake us today from all of our indifference and complacency in prayer and send us into our closets to seek His face for reformation in His church. <clears throat> as we now turn to our text in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. We consider one of the most significant fruits of one who, by the grace of God, knows that he has eternal life, and is fully assured with an infallible certainty that he is accepted as righteous in the sight of God only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to him and received by faith alone. And that fruit that is given to those who have this certainty is a confidence before God. A confidence before God. Notice in 1 John 5.14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That follows directly from verse 13. We know that we have eternal life. Or John actually says that he has written all of these things that ye might know that ye have eternal life. That is God's will for our lives to be certain with regard to our assurance. And what follows from that assurance is a confidence before him. Notice I didn't say a cockiness or an arrogance before God like a spoiled or disrespectful child but a confidence which issues in freedom of speech. That's what the word in the Greek language, that it, the word that's translated into English as confidence, it literally means a freedom of speech. That we might have a freedom of speech and fatherly familiarity with the Lord our God. And yet at the same time that we might have a fatherly fear and reverence for our God as well. For the Lord taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, this confidence of which John here speaks inspires a testimony from the Holy Spirit within the sinner who clings to the Lord Jesus Christ as his only hope for eternal life. The Holy Spirit witnesses that he is a child of God by grace. And because of that, and because of that alone, he belongs in the very presence of God. Only because of the merit of Christ. And I ask you, If children do not belong in the presence of their father, where do they belong? If children don't enjoy a freedom of speech and confidence with their father so as to enjoy him and call upon him when they have a need, there's something amiss. There's something desperately wrong. When children do not have confidence in the presence of their father. Fathers, is our relationship with our children preparing them for a life of communion with their heavenly father? Is it preparing them for a life of communion whereby they enjoy the Lord their God? Whereby they love him? and whereby they are driven into His presence? Or rather, because of our relationship with our children, because of our harshness, because of our anger, because of our coldness, because of our absence from our children, are we driving them away from us and therefore preparing them by our own example for a life in which they do not understand the freedom of speech that they have by way of right as a child of god by way of privilege as a child of god the apostle john dear ones declares in our text that adoption and the certain assurance of the believing sinners adoption by god issues in Confidence, freedom of speech before God. Having laid that as the foundation, proceed to my first main point. And that is that John declares to these Christians whose faith was presently under attack by Gnostic false teachers, he presents to them first the identifying mark of confidence before God which is assurance of answered prayer. The identifying mark, the the fruit of our confidence before God is that we are assured that He hears and answers our prayer. See, that's where confidence, freedom of speech takes us in our relationship with the Father. He hears us and answers our prayers. This truth is found in both verses of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Listen closely as I have identified this mark of confidence. Listen to what John says. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Particularly note the phrase at the end of verse 14 that is in the indicative mood. He heareth us. It is not stated there he might hear us, It's a potential or probability. It is stated very clearly, he heareth us. For you see, dear ones, just as assurance of our sonship issues in confidence before God, even so confidence before God issues in assurance of answered prayer, one follows the other. See, wasn't this exactly what the Lord himself was driving home to his disciples concerning prayer in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13? Where the Lord says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? This is not, dear ones, to imply that whatever our request, regardless of how disagreeable it is to God's will, we have it simply because we request it and ask it, as we shall see in just a moment. However, the Lord does make it clear that just as a child earnestly and humbly requests of his father that which is good, and so can expect his father to hear and to respond to his request how much more God our father whose infinite love to us has been revealed in Christ and who is not evil but who is absolutely righteous and good how much more he delights to hear and answer the earnest and humble requests that are that are good and that are offered by his children. An argument from the lesser to the greater. If we as fathers will give what's good and we're imperfect, how much more a perfect father in heaven will give what is good to his children when they ask? And that is why we find these assuring words in 1 John 5, 15, the next verse. And notice again, It is built upon a certainty and if we know that he hears us if that's our confidence we know that God hears us whatsoever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him you see here is a promise that John places before the eye of faith of every child of God so as to draw them into the secret place of the Most High God we need These types of promises. We need the incentive and the encouragement of God to draw us into that presence uh, uh, before Him. To come into His presence and to pray. We need the Lord's encouragement. And here God gives us all the encouragement that the child of God really needs. Because you who embrace Christ by faith alone are His adopted sons of uh, are his adopted children you have all the rights that belong to the children of God you are not waiting to inherit the rights that belong to the children of God you now enjoy them and God simply beseeches you come into my presence enjoy communion with me for this is one of the privileges of the sons of God don't stay away Don't treat me like a stranger. I am your Father who has loved you, has chosen you to be mine own, has sent mine only begotten Son that you might be rescued from hell, from judgment, from my eternal wrath. And I have given you all the inheritance that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Come into my presence and enjoy me. It's interesting even to hear the attitude that God has toward his backsliding children in Hosea, chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. The Lord God says of his children, the northern kingdom of Israel, who had forsaken the ways of the Lord. He says, and my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. And then the Lord says, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zebulim? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. Here his children have backslidden, have Brought false worship before God, have gone after other lovers, and do you hear the heart of the living God crying out as it were about the grief and the sorrow? How can He give them up? How can He deliver them into the hands of the cap- of their captors into the hands of Syri- uh, of Assyria? How can he treat them like the cities? of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were the main cities around which Adma and Zeboim were located. How can he treat them like those cities? These are his people. And remember, dear ones, we have a place before the presence of God because we have an advocate, a great high priest who is there interceding for us The Lord is neither powerless nor loveless in answering the prayers of his people. To the contrary, the power that created the vast universe and everything within it. The power that delivered and brought victory to Gideon's 300 against the 130,000 Midianites. The power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The power that turned a cruel persecutor like Paul into a faithful apostle is the same power that abides and dwells within the people of God is the same power that God unleashes to bring answers to the prayers of His people. And the love, dear ones, that sent God's Son to bear the infinite wrath of God For the sin of all those who trust him, even while they were still his enemies, is the same love that promises the child of God as he humbly and sincerely calls upon the Lord his God. That same love says, I hear you and I will answer you when you call upon me. The only problem is, dear ones, We're not calling upon him. And we're not calling upon him daily and regularly. And so you see, dear ones, here's the promise. He that is God heareth him, his child. The only question is, do you believe him? Do you believe that God hears you as his child? Is God faithful to his promise to hear you and answer you? The question is, will you cast yourself upon him right now and believe his promise that he will hear you when you call upon him? Will you from this moment lay claim to and and embrace that promise of God? so that you might enjoy confidence in the presence of God, freedom of speech, that confidence which was purchased at the cost of Christ's own life. I encourage you, dear ones, don't waver at the promise. Commit yourself to a God who cannot lie and believe his promise. He heareth you. The second main point from our epistle... And from our text today, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, is this. <clears throat> the condition of answered prayer is praying according to God's will. Notice what it, John says in verse 14. <clears throat> and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, He heareth us. It is our privilege, dear ones, as God's children, to come to him in prayer. But as we come, if we would know and be assured that he will hear us and answer our prayers, we must pray according to his will. I think it would be very helpful before we look more closely at praying according to God's will to simply state in a very simple yet accurate definition what is prayer, and I will cite for you question number 98 of the Shorter Catechism. What is prayer, the question asks. Listen closely. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, With confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Let me simply summarize that for you. Prayer is offering our desires to God, not to any creature, not to a saint, not to a priest not to any human being or angel, but to God alone. Second, prayer is offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. Not things that are agreeable to my mere will, to my mere wishes, but agreeable to the will of God, and we will consider in greater depth in just a moment this phrase thirdly prayer is that which we offer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that does not simply mean that we tack on at the end of our prayers in Jesus name but it means that we come to God only through the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf we 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 believe and we profess with our mouths that we don't belong in the presence of God. As to our own nature, where we belong is in a state of death and punishment. But we come into the presence of God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, claiming only his righteousness and his love for us appealing only to his obedience and not to our own. Next, we come confessing our sins. You see, we shouldn't approach God with a careless attitude with regard to sin. We must be knowledgeable of our sin. We must come before God having prayed, Lord, search my heart. Try my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Appealing to, to the Lord on the basis of his mercy. And lastly, according to this brief little definition, we, br- we come into the presence of God in prayer with thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. We praise the Lord our God for how he has been faithful to us and to our fathers. How he has been faithful to keep his word and his promises. How he has shown us grace in Christ. And so thankfulness is always upon the lips of God's people. Rather than complaining, murmuring against the providence of God, looking to all that God has brought into our life as an indication that actually we belong to him for this is his correction this is his discipline and he is training us as his children and we can be exceedingly thankful one of the greatest sins that we commit dear ones is to have a selective memory when it comes to the mercies of God to not remember to simply not remember that's not you might say an active disobedience You're not going out and committing murder. You're not going out and committing adultery or stealing. But you are in a very real sense robbing God of his glory when you do not remember his mercies. Well, since our text does speak of praying according to God's will, let us focus our attention then briefly upon that phrase. Praying for things that are agreeable to God's will. You see, the Apostle John has noted in 1 John 5.14, If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. This means that prayer is not a means of offering up our own self-centered, comfort-oriented, pleasure-seeking desires to God. Such desires are not good but rather may be properly called lusts, not desires. We don't offer up our lust and our covetousness to God. We offer our good and holy and rightful and proper desires to God. That's why we find in Matthew 7.11, These words, if ye then be evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Notice, God gives good things to those who ask him good things. God will give good things to those who request good things from God. That's what Jesus has just said. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him for those good things? We might mention also that one of the reasons why God may not in fact hear and answer our prayers Even when we ask externally for something good is that there is sin within our heart that has separated us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 teach very clearly this truth. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear and so it may not be because you have necessitated the wrong thing but sin has hidden his face from you or from me i would also say that prayer is not simply a uh, or uh, even a means of changing god's will to conform to our own will that's not prayer going in with the attitude perhaps i can can get god to change his mind about this thing the mind of christ dear ones who is god's only begotten son is thoroughly impressed upon the heart of God's adopted children when they offer in all sincerity to God their earnest desire in prayer, which, like Christ, will be not my will, but thine be done. Thy will be done. And that's why we read in various passages like Psalm 37, 4, this promise, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. If we do, in fact, delight ourselves in the Lord, if He is our joy and our delight, we will spend time with Him in prayer. We will spend time daily in His Word. We will find great joy in obeying His commandments in worshiping Him as He has commanded, in honoring all of our covenant obligations before Him and then our desires will be in tune with his desire, and he will give us the desires of our heart. And likewise, the promise we find in John fifteen seven, where Jesus says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. If ye abide in him, and his word is dwelling finding communion, delight, and joy in your own life and heart, you can ask what you will. And it will be done. And I would simply caution you as God's people not to think that because... You have prayed, and fervently prayed, for maybe some material blessing. And because you have prayed even for the right reasons, because God does tell us in the Lord's Prayer that one of the petitions we should pray for is, give us this day our daily bread. But again, realize it does not say, give us this day our daily filet mignon but our daily bread, that God would meet our needs and give us that which will be able to even help and assist in meeting the needs of others. But God may in his wise providence when we pray accordingly or pray that someone may be healed of a particular affliction, or that God may deliver out of a particular trial. of God may delay. In fact, He may never bring healing. He may never bring that specific material blessing for which we have prayed. Does that mean that God has not heard us and answered us? Absolutely not. It's interesting to compare. In this regard, in Luke 18, 35 and following, Jesus was passing along the way. And there was a blind man that cried out at the top of his lungs, Lord, Son of David, be merciful to me. He was making a nuisance of himself to such an extent that the people around him and even the disciples were saying, you know, be quiet. Stop shouting. You're making a nuisance. Of yourself. You're drawing undue attention to yourself. But he kept on. His persistence paid off. He was wrestling with God, as in the case of Jacob. And he was not going to let go. And the Lord came over to him and said, What do you desire of me? And he earnestly and humbly said, That I might see, that I might have my sight. The Lord said to him, thy sight is restored to thee. He was healed. Now how do we comport that in God's providence with what we find concerning the Apostle Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where we find the Apostle Paul praying three times that the Lord would remove the the affliction, the thorn in the flesh from him. But what he received as an answer was not healing. But what he received was the word and the promise of God, my grace is sufficient for thee. Did God answer the prayer of the blind man but not answer the prayer of the Apostle Paul? God forbid. He heard the prayer of the Apostle Paul and the answer was no you must trust in my grace my grace is all you need in this life everything else can be taken from you your health your wealth your family my grace is sufficient for thee are you trusting in your health your prosperity your home your car your possessions God will deliver us. If we are trusting in those things, God will deliver us, I believe, and demonstrate to us that our trust must be in him alone. It's interesting that in the Shorter Catechism, question 66, when it speaks of the fifth commandment to honor our father and mother, that our days may be long upon the land which the Lord our God does give us, It asks, what is is the reason annexed added on to the fifth commandment? The answer, the reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment. As far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good. And so if God does not in his wise providence heal or bless us financially or deliver us from various physical trials, it is not because God has not hurt us. It is not because God does not love us. In fact, it is because God does love us that he says to us as well, my grace is sufficient for thee. As we consider praying according to the will of God, dear ones, let me give to you two foundational elements, two foundations to build upon as you consider this praying according to God's will. The first one is this. If you would know God's will, if you would pray according to God's will, you must first hunger and thirst for righteousness. You must not only hunger and thirst in your soul, but you must hunger and thirst by living it out and demonstrating in your life that this is true. Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If the desire to know God's will is not in your heart, If you are not hungry and thirsting for his righteousness, for his truth, I pray to you. I call out to you. Cry out to God for mercy and that he himself would stir up that grace, that burning desire in your own heart today, that you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the first foundation. If you are a child of God, you must hunger and thirst for righteousness. The second is this, you must be willing to do his will. You know, many, many people are willing to know the will of God. Many people cry out, Lord, I want to know your will. But the Lord says he reveals his will to those who not simply cry out to know his will, but are willing to do his will. The Lord says in John seven seventeen, If any man will do his will not simply know his will, but will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You see, Jesus had been accused of simply giving doctrine and teaching which was after man's counsel, from man's heart, from man's teaching. And so this is what the Lord says, how will you know whether a teaching is from God or from man if you're willing to do it, not simply to know it, Why, dear ones, should the Lord God reveal to you his will from the Scripture if you have no intention of doing it? If it's simply an idle act of curiosity on your part, why should he give you any revelation or insight into his will if you're not, if you're not willing to do it? Furthermore, if you are not already doing what you know is God's will, but you are going out and flagrantly doing what you know to be contrary to the will of God, why should God give you any more understanding concerning his will? He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much, the Lord said in Luke 16.10. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, the Apostle John says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Are you doing the will of God and do you desire to do the will of God? I talk to people in counseling and that's one of the most basic questions I ask before we get into any of the the doctrine any of these issues I want to know are they willing to do the will of God do they want not simply to know it but do they want to do it and I would say that praying according to God's will implies the following things these are the ingredients this is what it means to pray according to God's will. First of all, praying to the end of God's glory. Is it God you desire to glorify in what you request and petition of Him? Do you desire to bring Him glory over every other end that you have? Is it His glory you desire? Second, praying From a motive of love for the Lord. Is the request which you offer to the Lord offered because you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Not that there isn't weakness in our life, but are you striving in your soul? Are you working diligently? Are you praying fervently? That God's love may be manifested in your life. Thirdly, are you praying according to the will of God that is found in Scripture? And in order to do that, you have to know God's word. You have to become acquainted, a diligent student of the Word of God, if you are to pray according to His will as it's revealed in Scripture. Fourthly, are you praying? On the basis of Christ's merit and righteousness, that's to pray in Christ's name, are you approaching the Lord not as some kind of demand on your part, but are you approaching him indicating that it is only on the basis of what Christ has done for me that I come seeking this petition? And lastly, praying according to God's will implies praying in faith Clinging to and embracing the promises of God that he is absolutely trustworthy to keep his word. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Are you coming, trusting in his promises? And I would just emphasize before I get to my application in our sermon today that the will of God here spoken of is not his secret will. You're not praying according to his secret will. For the secret will of God is his will of providence by which he brings all things to pass. We don't know what God's secret will is until it actually occurs. So how can you pray according to the secret will of God? In Deuteronomy 29, 29, God says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. They don't belong unto us. They belong unto the Lord our God. You see, we can only submit to God's secret will but we cannot pray according to God's secret will because we're not omniscient. We don't know all things. Therefore, when we pray according to God's will from this passage, we pray according to the revealed will of God. Continuing that passage in Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. In other words, that we might be obedient. That we might apply these precepts to all the areas of our life. And this is the aspect of God's will that's mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. When we are commanded to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We are commanded to pray according to God's revealed will. According to what he has revealed in his word. How is the revealed will of God uh, performed in heaven? How is it performed by the angels? Well, it is, in, it is certainly performed there swiftly, eagerly, diligently. Whatever God's revealed will is, the angels do so with all of their heart to the glory of God. And so likewise, dear ones, we are to do upon the earth We can know the revealed will of God as Paul says in Ephesians 5.17 Wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. God would have us to search out the scriptures that we might know. Thus, to pray according to God's will, dear ones here, is not to seek some extraordinary revelation or foresight into the future and pray accordingly. Rather, it is to pray according to what God has already given to us in his word, to search out the truth that's contained in the scriptures and even the so-called smallest commandments, to love them and apply them, to every area of our life and hereby praying accordingly we have that which we ask the apostle says this is our confidence praying according to his will we have what we ask I would simply make an application for us, many, many applications that we could address to this particular issue of praying according to the will of God, but I would have you consider one as it relates to our day of prayer and fasting. Is it according to God's revealed will to fast? In both the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures, we know that that is according to God's revealed will to set aside time. In times of extreme trial, in times of great need, perilous circumstances, when we would beseech the mercy of God and implore him to pour forth his blessings upon us, God commands us to commit to prayer and fasting. So we know we are praying according to his will when we pray for his blessing upon this day of prayer and fasting. Listen to the things that are specifically stated in this announcement from the session to the congregation. And ask yourself, is that according to the revealed will of God? The session calls God's people in this congregation and all who are united with us in the covenanted cause of Christ to a day of prayer and fasting, Saturday, March the 7th, 1998, and now we can add at 2 p.m. for the following reasons. First, to confess our own sins, those of our family and those of our church and nation. Is that what God calls us to do? Absolutely. To confess not only our own sins, but the sins of our forefathers, the sins of our church, the sins of the elders, the sins of the congregation, the sins of fathers, the sins of mothers, the sins of husbands, the sins of wives, the sins of children, the sins of magistrates. Confess and acknowledge the righteousness of God's judgment upon this nation. Secondly, do we pray according to God's will when secondly we acknowledge our absolute dependence now and for all eternity upon the grace and mercy of God? Is there any other thing to which we can uh, uh, cling Is there any other hope is there any other arm as strong as the arm of the Lord our God our absolute dependence upon him casting aside any of our own talents and abilities their foolishness without the Spirit of God they will fail us they will not bring anyone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ nor draw one Any closer to communion with Christ apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and it is foolishness for us to embark upon such a fast thinking that we can do so thirdly we pray according to the will of God when we pour forth our praise and thanksgiving to God for as many benefits to us as his people All material benefits, but especially all those spiritual benefits which have been graciously bestowed upon us in Christ our Savior. Are we silent? That is certainly a great sin, as we said earlier. Are we forgetful? By God's grace on this day of prayer and fasting, and as we prepare our hearts for this day, we should be daily pouring out our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to God for all that we enjoy, for it all comes from his hand. Even the smallest little crumb that we partake of that falls from our table, that we completely ignore, is a crumb that God has given to us. Every breath that we take is a breath which God gives to us. And especially, dear ones, to our life in the Lord Jesus Christ and all the blessings associated with that. And lastly, is it to pray according to the will of God this following petition? To implore and beseech our God earnestly that he would glorify his most holy name in ushering in a third reformation by means of our fervent worship secret family and corporate by means of our preaching and publishing near and abroad the gospel of Jesus Christ and the biblical truth concerning a covenanted reformation by means of our exposing the sins and errors of the times by means of our calling all men to turn from their wicked ways and embrace Jesus Christ and by means of our ceaseless prayer for the peace Purity and unity of Christ's church in the truth throughout the world. Is that praying according to God's revealed will? I close by reading for you. God's revealed will, as stated in Isaiah 62, beginning with verse 6. The Lord says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Yet that make mention of the Lord, or ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Don't Stop praying for the third reformation, for a covenanted reformation, for the Lord to bless His gospel and His truth, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let us stand in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we, like the disciples of old, would call out to you and implore you to teach us to pray. We pray, Heavenly Father, that thy spirit would work in our lives so that we do not simply go through the motions so that our lips utter the right things while our hearts are far from thee. O Lord our God, we pray that thou would cause to well up within our souls such thankfulness for the mercy of God, such grief and sorrow over our own sin and how we have sinned against thy love and thy compassion. That thou would cause us, O Lord our God, to petition and to implore Thee for Thy blessings upon Thy church, to bring about a healing of her divisions, to bring about, Father, a healing in the walls, in a building, and a rebuilding of the walls, the breaches that have been made in the walls of Jerusalem. We ask our Father that Thou would help us in many other areas of our life not simply as we pray for this day of prayer and fasting but Lord God whatever it is that we would beseech Thee that we would know that we have confidence before Thee because we are Thy children and that we can be assured of the answer of our prayer and that Thou dost hear us when we pray according to Thy will we pray Heavenly Father that Thou would grant to us this grace that we might delight and find great joy as we daily seek thy face, as we daily find communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is, in fact, the goal of our salvation. For, Father, we will for all eternity live in communion with thee. We ask all of these things in the name of